Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back, everybody, into another edition here of the Auburn Undercover Podcast on the 24-7 Sports Network. My name is Nathan King, joined today by our publisher, Ronnie Sanders, and by a very special guest. Most of y'all probably know this guy, former Auburn assistant, Tommy Bowden. Tommy, how are you doing today? We were talking, uh, Thanks for number one, thanks for sticking through some uh, some technical difficulties there at the start. And uh, how has your, uh, your holiday season been with your family? Holiday has been good. I, my uh, daughter and son uh, were both in after Christmas and uh, with my four Rugrats grandsons, and uh, they were in for seven days. You know, weekend used to meant Friday, Saturday, Sunday. A weekend when you live at the beach is a week. They, they take that back part off, stay a week. They just left peace and quiet in the house. There you go. Where's your daughter living now? She lives in Mobile. My son lives in Atlanta. My daughter lives in Mobile, and uh, – they're both, you know, when you live at the beach, they come. It's no problem getting them here. That's right. We were we were talking before we got rolling about that two-lane game. Uh, they've now won, they've won 12 games for the first time since since you were the head coach there. How, how enjoyable was that for you to watch? It really was good because, you know, it's, uh, of course, a special place for me because that's where I kind of cut my teeth as a head coach at, at, in New Orleans at Tulane. But uh, to see them kind of reestablish – uh, a little bit of uh, credibility, you know, as, as a football school, uh, not anything like the SEC or some of these other Power Five conferences, but just to establish that. If they can keep old Willie Fritz, if they can keep him there, I think he's 62 and looks like there's a good chance, you know, he's at that age where that's a, that's a good final stop for him. And uh, if they can keep him, I think they can maintain some level of consistency. What was Clemson's pitch to you in, in, in 1999 after that successful season? You know, they really didn't have to say much. I had, uh, as a young assistant, I had, I had coached in the SEC for about 11 years, and I had about eight schools. And I said this in my press conference at Clemson. I had eight, I had eight schools that I – man, if I can ever be fortunate enough to become a head coach. And at that particular time, the you know, the conferences had expanded. But I had Alabama, Auburn, LSU, Florida, Georgia, Tennessee, had North Carolina, and I had Clemson. And I was familiar with North Carolina because it's a really good recruiting state. And if you could – Mac Brown had gone up there and kind of – closed the borders of the state and had really good success. He had two 10-win seasons back-to-back. So I said, man, if I'm ever fortunate to get one of those schools. So I didn't really have to, you know, uh, pitch anything to them. They had always been on my list. I coached at Duke in the early 80s and uh, played twice at Clemson, twice at Duke. And when we played at Duke, we had more Clemson fans than we did Duke fans in the state. Uh, but Duke, Duke fans, our, our fans at Duke, they were in the library up until halftime. So, uh, but I, I've been been familiar with Clemson for a while. 
What's the difference, having worked at both schools, what's the difference between Auburn and Clemson? I mean, Clemson's been able to have some sustained success. Where, As they say, the lake, <laughs> Lake Hartwell up at, uh, up at uh, Clemson. Really, the, the architectural style is very similar. Uh, Clemson's probably a little bit smaller than Auburn as far as the uh, student enrollment. But as far as the, the makeup of the, the, uh, t- the town geographically, you know, being a small college town, they're both small college towns, uh, uh, rabid fan base. Uh, you know, and that's, that's, you know, after being the SEC, Clemson looks like they had an SEC environment, but really not much difference uh, as far as uh, stadium right now is a little bit, I think Auburn's a little bit bigger in their stadium, but uh, Clemson's probably got uh, equal, if not better facilities. Whereas when I went there, they didn't have the things that Auburn had. Now they probably surpassed them. I think Auburn, Auburn just opened a $92 million football facility. Yeah, I know. And, and with that new one, it's probably going to be very similar to what Clemson's had. I know back when Clemson did all that uh, that growth here within the last six or seven years, I think them, maybe Oregon, people said were the two top ones that had bells and whistles. Had the barbershop and the, and the nap, the, the uh, sleeping booze and the uh, putt-putt golf and, you know, all the things that you would – that are really – not uh, necessary for college football they got, but that uh, appeals to a 17. You know, Ronnie, as active as you've been in recruiting, sometimes uh, the, 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 the phrase student-athlete, you know, an athlete goes and looks for the, the academic environment and the, the majors that are off. That's, that's a nice phrase to use, but that student-athlete, the students, uh, that's kind of easing its way out <laughs> of college athletics and they're going strictly to athletics, facilities, bells, the whistles, NIL, you know, all those things are that uh, 17 year old kind of gets their attention, but uh, Clemson surely has it in, in their facilities. And, and that's kind of, kind of what the major, the power five schools are all doing. What are your thoughts on NIL and the way it's affecting college, college athletics? Yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, Ron, you know, they, they had no plan. And you know, when they had no plan, you know, the, the toothpaste is out of the tube. It's going to be hard to get it back in. As a commissioner, as Commissioner Bowden of the new conference, which I think what they're going to have to do is uh, they're going to have to have some uh, a salary cap in the NIL, for example, $20 million. If you sign to be in the new Power Five conference, then your, NFL, your NIL limit is going to be $20 million or such. And then uh, if you don't want it, fine, then you can go on the, the power five now, which they have, you know, there's going to be up 60 schools in my conference and 60 schools in the other, but there's going to have to be a limit, which there is not now also a limit, uh, a little bit of structure, more discipline structure on the transfer portal are the two big issues. But uh, I, I believe that's going to, that's probably going to happen because I think the NCAA, NCAA doesn't want to control it. And I don't think they can control it. You mentioned that uh, that time of yours at Duke. After that, you go to Alabama. What was it like? And I guess what are the differences in in the nineties? What was it like going from? I know you had the 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 stint at Kentucky between there, but what was it like going from coaching at Alabama to to being an assistant at Auburn? Well, you know the the thing about that jump is that being born in Birmingham and being very familiar with the those those programs you know I, i'd been at auburn a little bit in 1980 under a guy named doug barfield i coached the running backs so uh a little bit familiar with the sec but being born in birmingham you're alabama auburn fan that's it and uh, then all of a sudden you fly down for an interview and you're 
you're staying at a hotel on Bear Bryant Boulevard and you're looking at Bear Bryant Museum. You know, that's that's those are things you dream about. As you know, if I've been born in the Midwest, it might be Notre Dame or Northeast, it might be Penn State or something like that. But Alabama and Auburn, both of them are just those are dream jobs. That's like go, dying going to heaven for for a young coach in the Southeast. So going from Duke, and I enjoyed my experience at Duke four years there with a guy named Steve Sloan that was a quarterback in Alabama and an MVP in the Orange Bowl and was the AD when I was at Alabama. But to be able to go to Alabama from Duke, man, just what a kind of a dream come true. What was – how close did your did your dad come to going to Alabama? Oh, he was, he was close. At, uh, in fact, he was so close that he had already talked to me about going – uh, Brad Scott was definitely going to come from Florida State. Terry Tappertine was taking the Sanford job, was going to take Jeff with him. And uh, so it was all set until he went into the interview <laughs> and uh, uh, was told that he was going to be offered the job but just between the president and himself and one maybe one prominent booster. And he, he, he did not want to go in for an a interview with a board. He he'd thought he had proven himself. And then he opened up the door to meet the president to accept the job, there was a, I think about a 17 member committee in there started peppering, peppering him with questions. And then of course he came back from that. He was at the, we were at the, he was at the bowl game in Birmingham. So uh, it was easy to make contact with him. And uh, he came back and they, they didn't offer him the job, but they interviewed him. So he was mad, but he would have still gone. They, 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 at that particular time, they chose Bill Curry. So I ended up at Alabama. My, my father didn't. <laughs> What was that like for you and your and your and your family? You know, Pat Dye decides to decides to retire, and 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 Terry gets hired. And then, what were some of the factors that went into such a successful first season for for him as the head coach? Well, he knew what he was doing for number one. You know, Terry and I are both fortunate. Um, I went undefeated my second year. He went undefeated his first year at Auburn. But both of us were fortunate that we spent the time with my father, who's Hall of Fame. Coach got a, got a lot of wins, and when he took the Auburn job, he had a lot of confidence, and still does. But it's not like he had to go there and 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 discover how to become a head coach, or how to do spring ball, or how to discipline players, or how to deal with the media. How you know he 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 witnessed my father do that behind closed doors very successfully. So uh, I think that was one of one of the reasons. Now I had good players. Coach Dye had recruited well, and there were some good players there. But again, it's fragmented. When you go in like that as a new head coach, it's fragmented, and you have to unify the players and get everybody on the same page as a staff and as a fan base and players particularly. And he was able to do that. I think a lot of it because of his confidence and and a lot of the background he had with my father. So uh, it was a, it was a unique experience and uh, going from I think five wins ends maybe the year before and uh for him to go in now when when he originally heard when i originally heard his name popping up uh as the head coach at auburn uh i called my father and i said i said uh i said dad i said terry called me and says he's got a chance at this auburn job i said so you better call and tell him do <laughs> you know this is this is going this different different league different game he said, son, I think he's going to get it. <laughs> and sure enough, he got it. And I was begging for a job. I said, brother, call T- Terry and tell him to hire me. Keep me on here. But uh, it was uh, – it was I, I was as surprised as anybody else got the job. We played Sanford. My last year at Auburn, we played Sanford. 
and uh, I think they crossed the 50 once. And I, I don't know what would beat them, maybe 30 to 3. I think they got a field goal in the game. I said, gosh, he's not going to get this job. And and uh, sure enough, he did. And I was in his office next day, him to keep me. What was that like, uh, being being hired by Di and, and – and then working working with Terry. Well, you know, it, it was hard uh, because Terry's my younger brother. And, uh, gosh, I had coached at Alabama. I had coached at Auburn, a uh, young coordinator at Duke, maybe about 29 years old, and felt like, you know, that, 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 that I was supposed to be the one in that particular position, not him. He had been at Salem and had been at Sanford. And uh, so uh, – but so I was surprised – but uh, very fortunate, you know, that he kept me. I, I never wanted to coach football north of the Mason-Dixon or uh, west of the Mississippi. And I had a chance to go to Pitt, which is north of the Mason-Dixon. I had a chance to go to Southern Cal, which is west of the Mississippi. I said, man, I don't want to do that. I just moved in a house. And uh, to go work for your younger brother, you know, he's my younger brother. He's supposed to be working for, for me. I'm not, Plus, Ronnie knows him pretty good. He got a law degree. That joker can talk and go 100 miles an hour. And you don't have, you don't go have a discussion with Terry. You go listen to Terry as he talks. So uh, that was hard to do as an older brother that, with the experience that I had. But I learned a lot of football off of him uh, from management style and, and X and O style. So uh, I was very glad because what I took from him and my father uh, had success immediately at Tulane. So I didn't like it initially, but I was sure glad that I stayed and was very thankful once I left uh, how much football I learned. What were the biggest keys you would say you guys had some of the better offenses in in those in in your years as the as the OC there? I know you guys had had you know, I think as Auburn's last All American receiver um, played played for you during that time. What were some of the keys to to the offensive success you guys were able to have? I think the one thing that Terry uh, had, you know, I had. I was getting some other teaching from a guy named Homer Smith in Alabama, had some experience to the shotgun and the no huddle and things of that nature. Terry was born and raised and, and weaned on the day on I formation. He knew every, you, if you stopped a certain play in the I formation, he knew the answer to come back to combat uh, uh, what problems defenses could give. Cause the I formation is not very complex. You got two wide receivers, a tight end, two backs in your I formation. You can hone in pretty easily defensively on that, on that formation. Not a lot of motion, a lot of, not a lot of multiple formations. But one thing I think Terry had run it so well at Sanford and at uh, uh, Salem, where the, the Division three school up in West Virginia, that he knew every answer to every, everything the defense could throw at you. He had an answer. And he had learned that off my father. My father had run it for so long. So uh, I think that was the biggest reason for that success that year was the fact that uh, he knew what he was doing in that particular formation. He had the, he had the players to run it. Uh, Stephen Davis, tailback, Harold Moore, I could go on, you know, about the, the players that he had. But you got to put those players in a position to win, and then you got to have answers when the defense can slow you down. I think that's one of the biggest reasons for his success initially at Auburn. He's, he knew the I formation like the back of his hand. What was it like um, leaving and, and ended up at Tulane and then kind of a whirlwind after two years? I remember your first game at Tulane, and the next thing you know, you're the head coach at Clemson. Um, what was that like? You know, I'd been there for uh, seven years at Auburn, I think with Terry, or six or, six or seven. 
and I said, man, I'd interviewed at several jobs, interviewed at Ole Miss, Kentucky, several other jobs. I said, man, I just I couldn't get them. I said, man, I, just, I can't get a job. And I, I pretty much uh, we're having some success at Auburn. I, so I pretty much in my mind professionally, I said, man, I said, it uh, looks like I just, you know, if I can stay here as coordinator as long as I can, uh, make a little money, maybe, maybe I can eventually, you know, I love the beach. Mentioned I can get me a little two-bedroom condo down there at the beach, you know, one of them high rises, and uh, that, that's that's my fate in coaching. Coach for my younger brother for the rest of my life, and some jobs came over and after my seventh year. I, I like I said, I interviewed Ole Miss, came over, Kentucky flew down and interviewed me, and, and just couldn't get them. And then Tulane came open. I really wasn't interested in Tulane when it came open, and then the longer I went and that job stayed open, I think they were inter- interviewed. They were interested initially in a guy named Mike Dubose who ended up getting the head job at Alabama. So that threw him out of the Tulane picture and uh, eventually got the job. But when it came open, I had no interest in Tulane whatsoever. That's not a job where you win. Most coaches go there and they're fired three or four years later. They just didn't have a high success ratio. Mac Brown had won uh, seven games, maybe his fifth or sixth year. So I said, well, maybe if I can go there and win, you know, four, five years I can get six or seven wins I think I can squeeze six or seven wins out by my fourth or fifth year and then maybe maybe have an opportunity to go to a the schools I just mentioned you know or you know so uh, I was fortunate to have success and Clemson come open you, you can have success in a job you won't not come open and then all of a sudden you stay there a couple more years and don't have success and then then you're not a hot item because when I interviewed for I interviewed for Clemson on a Thursday and the next day the AD at South Carolina flew in and interviewed me uh so both I got interviewed for South Carolina and Clemson back to back on a Thursday and a, and, a, and a Friday this episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance whether you love true crime or comedy celebrity interviews or news you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue and guess what now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the name your price tool from Progressive it works just the way it sounds You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What was um? I forget what I was going to ask you now. I'm sorry, Nathan. Go ahead. I don't know what I was like. Uh, the, the running joke around Auburn is that, that Auburn hasn't had a receivers coach since you left. So, what uh, what was the difference, and it, how did you become a coordinator from from being um, a receivers coach versus a quarterbacks coach? And then how did that help you? And what made you a good receivers coach? I think anytime you play the position, it 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 helps. Uh, of course, when I played in college, you know, you, we didn't throw it like we, we did now. But I think if you played it, it, it gives you a little bit of an advantage when you coach the position. And then, uh, you know, Ronnie, I coached the secondary. My first full-time job was coaching the secondary at East Carolina. And uh, uh, so I had some of that defensive mentality into me about toughness that was requires a, a wide receiver. 
And uh, so I, I coached, uh, to be honest with you, I coached receivers with a defensive mentality, what I call a defensive mentality, some toughness and hard nose blocking and, and things of that nature. And then I was fortunate to have some, gosh, Frank Sanders, Thomas Bailey, Karsten Bailey, Willie Gauthier, Tyrone Goodson. I could go on and on about the number of receivers. You know, you, you got to have, have some talent. And uh, I was I was kind of a hard nosed coach. I, those guys, I'm sure at times didn't like me very much, but um, they're really, really were quality people. And uh, I don't know if I could coach today like I coached in my early years in Alabama and Auburn from a physical standpoint. I uh, just uh, transfer portal. I wouldn't have had anybody. Left. I wouldn't have had anybody left. That transfer portal, they would have been gone. But it's easy to make the transition from position coach to coordinator, especially if you have that ambition, because you're always trying to learn. Uh, one of the first things I did, Ronnie, is a, you know I played receiver in college, a coach mostly skilled people. But you know if you're ever going to coordinate, you you better learn about the front five. You better learn running schemes, blocking schemes, pass protections. Uh, and all that. So I started going to offensive line clinics as a position coach and as my first couple of years of coordinator because I said I didn't play that position. It's probably the hardest position to coach offensively because it involves five guys and all the blocking schemes and all the things you have to do, put those guys on the same page. So I, I, I kind of absorbed myself in offensive line uh, technique and style and, and, and patterns so I could become a more complete uh, coordinator uh, once I ever had the opportunity. What was, uh, how did you get to be a coordinator from, from being a receivers coach versus, was it harder being a receivers coach than a quarterbacks coach? Or did, uh, it- no, I think both those receivers, yeah, receivers and quarterbacks have to be on the same page so much and you spend so much time together. So, so really that, that, that's an easy transition. Uh, uh so, uh, that, that's, that's not real difficult. I think the most difficult, one of the most difficult positions to coordinate from would be offensive line because that's such a time consuming, uh, uh, position. And then those guys are usually ex offensive linemen. Uh, they all love to run the ball. <laughs> you know, those are run oriented guys. They'll get in a three point stance with their butt up in the air and their face down the dirt and come straight out. You know, those days were pretty much over, but a lot of the mentality of a lot, not all of them, there are some very good. Uh, coordinators that coach offensive line. It's just very difficult. That's such a time-consuming position to coach and coordinate. Uh, it's easier so much to do. You'll see a lot of the coordinators coach tight ends. There's one guy they can spend a lot more time on game planning, uh, running backs, wide receivers, quarterback coach. Those were most of your quarter coordinator, I think, positions where people elevate on their way up. Uh, simply because it ties in the passing game. And, you know, if you're a quarterback coach, you got no protections. you got to call – a lot of times it's you in the center to call protections. So uh, those usually make – usually there's more coordinators that have coached those positions. It's easier to transition to the coordinator position. Talking about Auburn's head coach right now, going from the Brian Harson era to <clears throat> Hugh Freeze, you mentioned how you never wanted to coach anywhere that wasn't in the South, obviously – Hugh Freeze has that experience at a place like Ole Miss, and 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 that lack of experience isn't the only reason why Brian Harson didn't work out. But but just how helpful is that as a coach in terms of the recruiting trail, familiarity, everything that goes with with having a job in the SEC and, and in and in this footprint? How important is that familiarity, and how important do you think that can be for a guy like Hugh Freeze? 
You know, it's important for him, but I've got mixed feelings and I guess and and thoughts on hiring a guy that that doesn't uh, know the the uh, the uh, background of a school or he doesn't have the contacts or doesn't understand our culture in the southeast. There couldn't have been a guy more out of culture than Nick Saban going to LSU. Talking about a guy that, 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 that he had no contacts. He never recruited down there. Didn't know the high school coaches. Didn't know the culture. We went down there and won a national championship. You could have never picked a guy uh, uh, further away than Jimmy Johnson going to Miami. He never coached down there. He didn't know Dade Broward County. Didn't have contacts with high school coaches. Didn't know the Miami culture that Snellenberger had incorporated. And all of a sudden, he goes down there and wins a national championship. Then to make that. Uh, a little more unusual. They picked a guy further away next, a guy named Dennis Erickson from the state of Washington. He coached at Washington State to go to Miami over 2,000 miles away, no culture of Miami, no high school contact. So uh, Brian Harson, I don't think, uh, you know, saying a guy doesn't understand the culture, doesn't understand tradition, history. I, if you can coach, I think my father always said, if you can coach, you can coach. And I think Nick Saban going to LSU and and, and uh, Jimmy Johnson, Dennis Erickson going to Miami, win a national championship. Say so if you can coach, you can coach. And uh, Hugh Freeze, I do think, has that advantage of understanding uh, the culture. He does understand the culture, but he's going to win because he's a good coach and he can recruit and he can hire a good staff. That's why he's going to win. Uh, Nick Saban, you know, he won in Alabama. And he, he talk as much like a Yankee as he wants to because he can win a lot of games. I said there were some characters on that first Auburn staff. What was it like working with Rick Trickett and Jimbo Fisher in, in the offensive room? <laughs> well, you know, I uh, – <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, my vocabulary increased. Well, mine didn't increase, but I heard words I'd never heard before. Those are, those are two they're, – they're excellent coaches, and uh, they coach with great passion. And uh, they're, they're – uh, their vocabulary is a little more uh, colorful than what I was accustomed to being. I always saw it as a challenge to, to get maximum toughness out of your players without cursing. I think their philosophy was to get maximum toughness out of your players with as much cursing as possible. But, uh, you know, I, but those were great guys. They're good friends of the family. They're really excellent coaches. And, uh, you know, you better have good coaches. Terry had a really good staff, and those two guys were excellent additions, you know, Jimbo and, and Rick. But I enjoyed him, you know, being a receiver coach and working with Jimbo on a really close basis because he was the quarterback coach. And, of course, being on the offensive staff with, with Rick, uh, offensive lineman, and, and that's something I tried to learn as much as I could. So uh, uh, I enjoyed it. It was it was, a, it was a heck of a staff, and – those guys are, are different personalities than mine, different coaching styles. But, man, they were excellent coaches. Rick Trickett, he, he's, he's still coaching with Rich Rodriguez up in Jacksonville State, but he built his retirement house about 20 miles down the road from me up in Freeport, sure. Florida. So, yeah, sometimes I wake up 2 or 3 more, uh, two or three in the morning, I hear him cursing. You, you know, your, your voice carries on the water. That bay, I can hear him cursing two or three in the morning. <laughs> His wife Tara all carried across that bay. But yeah, he he lives didn't he? Well, he's gonna when he stops coaching, he'll eventually move into that house he built. He's he's one of my favorites. I love him. Great, great coach. Tommy, it sounds like you're have have a bit of a belief that that Freeze has opportunities to to succeed as as Auburn's head coach. We we talked about 
obviously when your when your brother came in in that first season being so successful, your your second season at Tulane, what are the biggest factors in getting off on the right foot as a head coach at a, at a at a new program? With him and his background, you better have a quarterback. <laughs> you know, Terry had quarterback when he came to a good solid quarterback surrounded by good people, but he had a good solid quarterback. I did at Tulane, had a guy named Sean King that played in the NFL for a couple, couple of years. And, uh, but, but th- that's because he knows what he's doing offensively and, and defensively. He'll have a staff. He'll be able to recruit the players there. But I think the key to him having early success is, you know, you can't line up in the I formation anymore in the SEC. Defenses are too strong and there's people can they, – they can, they can defend that formation. You, you need to be complex. And, and success offensively nowadays in college football is spreading the field, creating matchups in open space and having a quarterback that can execute and deliver the football uh, in close proximity. And if he doesn't have that, he's going to struggle. Once he finds that guy, he's, he'll find that guy. He'll find him. I, I don't know how soon he'll find him, but when he does, he, I think he'll have he'll compete for that that that, that division championship and SEC championships like like he did at Ole Miss. But I think the thing that's going to uh, uh, help him immediately will be he's got to find a quarterback that can that can that can you know make some decisions and and, and be productive in the SEC. Coach, I appreciate you being with us. I know that. Uh, I know hey, hey I'm gonna throw one one more thing, at you. Ronnie. One more thing at you. I'm gonna give you. My little philosophy. Because you're you were heavily involved in recruiting. If you had to pick one job, if you were if if you had to pick one job, uh, and let me know if we run out of time here, but it, it no, just won't great. take too long. What what would be the best job in America for from a recruiting standpoint? You got players that can win a national championship. What would be your what would be your opinion? Florida. Choice. Florida. Florida. Okay, say Florida. Now I'm okay. I'm gonna give you another. Just look at this scenario. We'll end it on this show. The, to me, because right. I recruited this state. To me, the best state, best job to win a national championship is LSU. Okay, why do you say LSU? Number one, it is a great football state, and and that's a, that's it's Cajun. I mean, if there's a great player in that state, there's a good chance his mother works for an LSU graduate. The banker that they get their loan from, the English teacher that he's got to get a C in a class is a Cajun. So they've got everything from a foundational standpoint. Now you take, look what's happened at LSU. You take that little foundation right there. Take Nick Saban, who's got no culture identity to LSU, Cajun, Baton Rouge at all. He goes down there and wins a national championship. And if you can recruit that state, and there's a chance you can, because if there's a great player in that state, that English teacher ain't passing him unless he goes to LSU or that banker and the, and the judge and the sheriff and the superintendent, they're all Cajuns. You can't get out of that state unless you go there. Well, next, okay, LSU's uh, Pete Nick Saban's the GOAT. He's the best. Well, yeah, he, he'd go anywhere. Well, look at the next, next guy, a little bit different guy, a little quirky guy. Les Miles goes there. No background, no culture, came from Oklahoma State, got a Midwest background, maybe a Big Ten background, goes to LSU, and, and like I said, a player's not leaving that state. He goes there. He wins a national championship. Okay, then you take the third guy goes there. Maybe the least of uh, X and O ex- expertise. I don't know that. But just get Ed Orgeron. But he's Cajun. He knows the culture. He goes there. He wins the national championship. You take three different guys with three different backgrounds, three different areas geographically. They all win a national championship at LSU. 
But to me, if the foundation is in place, regardless who goes there, what their background is, how well they know the coaches. And you don't have to know them coaches. They ain't getting out of this if they don't go to Baton Rouge. The superintendent will get fired. The principal will get fired. The high school coach will get fired. The English teacher won't give them an A or a B. And go on down the line. The banker that hires the mother or the, 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 the local guy, the guy that sells the cars. So to me, and you just look at the data in the background, LSU, if you had to pick one job to win a national championship, would be LSU. All right, that's my Tommy Bowden philosophy for today. But yeah, I'll you know, <laughs> just throw that at you. No, I, I, you know, and I, looking back, I think you're probably you're probably right. I mean, I worked at both places, Florida and LSU, and and uh, it was different when I was at LSU. Um, Coach Saban came in and was completely changing the culture, and um, yeah. it was it was a mess when we got there. Um, but uh, I, I think both those jobs are great jobs. Well, and to your and to your point, that you have somebody in there right now who's not regionally linked at all, and he comes in and has great success. I mean, relatively, based on where they were, really good success in his first year. He'll win on a he'll win a national championship. They, them Cajuns, he has to because the Cajuns going to put all the players he needs there. If you can just coach a little bit, but. Yep. Right. Anyway, I'll give you something to think about for your next show. <laughs> Perfect. Well, thank you so much for uh for joining us, Tommy. I'm sure uh sure the listeners really appreciate it. Thanks again. Yeah, I enjoy y'all enjoy that game between TCU and Georgia. Appreciate See it. y'all later. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount+, Plus to try it free. Terms apply.